The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of MedPEP or Physician Health Services. The advice given to Marie Curious has been individualized and may not apply to the listener. While Marie Curious is a real person describing both real and hypothetical events and situations, she is using a pseudonym for this series. Welcome to another episode of MedPEP, the Medical Professionals Empowerment Program. I'm your host, Dr. Les Schwab, an internist, experienced medical leader, and a professional coach. Each session, I help medical leaders and healthcare professionals navigate today's complex and very demanding medical environment. My MedPEP role is to guide Dr. Marie Curious, my colleague, a young primary care internist with a demanding practice, as well as a determination to survive and thrive in this environment. In each of these episodes, I facilitate a conversation between Marie and a visiting expert in one aspect of the manifold problems of practicing medicine today. Today's expert is Dr. Diana Dill, who will speak to us about managing your energy through the course of a day. But before we begin, I'd like to ask Marie how things have gone with her since we last met. As you recall, Marie, when we met, we spoke with Dr. Gazelle about mindful medical practice, mindful personal practice. I wondered if you had any observations to share since we met. If I remember correctly from the time we had with Dr. Gazelle, uh, she helped me focus in on the word savor. And part of that task was how do you savor various moments of the day so that you don't feel like you're just going about in a flutter? And what I chose to work on was thinking about the word savor as I drank water in between seeing patients rather than just gulping it down in a fit of survival, in survival mode, so to speak. And I have to say, Les, uh, it was interesting. I think, again, like the first one of the first tasks we worked on, which was to go outside to have lunch, you know, I just could only think about what I was losing time not doing, not catching up on charts, not returning phone calls um, during that time. And then it was sort of the same with drinking water. I was trying to focus on the word savor, and I would just have these thoughts that crossed my path that said, just drink that water and get on to the next patient. And it just took concentration to even think of the word savor. But I, I practiced it. And were you able to, as one of our other guests said, hit the off switch and savor, actually be in the moment? I think so. I've tried to focus in on my breathing, actually. That was something else Dr. Gazelle talked about. And not let your thoughts wander while just focusing on the breathing and the drinking of water. <laughs> uh, well, you, you, you were attentive to what Gail had told us, and I wondered what was the experience like if you were to evaluate it, what was it like? I think it was restful, even in those 15 seconds, because instead of my mind already going on to the next task or the next patient or how far behind I was running in clinic, um, I could take that moment just to breathe. And in the grand scheme of things, I'm sure it did not delay my flow very much at all. And did it allow you to actually feel relaxed as you began the next part of your flow? I think at least it helped me to remember to breathe. Okay. <laughs> Which sometimes is a challenge. 
and that's the beginning of it. Okay, very good. I'm eager to listen in on your conversation with Diana. Go for it. Today, we're going to welcome Dr. Diana Dill. May I call hi, Marie. you? Hi. May I call you Diana? <laughs> Please do. Wonderful. Please tell me a little bit about yourself and the work that you do, improving the lot of us physicians and healthcare professionals in general. Okay, I'd be happy to. I'm a consulting and coaching psychologist, doctoral level, and the work I do is mostly helping physicians and other clinicians and their practices to do good work and feel good about the work they're doing. I also have a clinical practice with a CBT focus, and in the normal course of things, I end up combining both perspectives, the organizational or consulting psychology perspective that looks at systems and how an environment affects a person. I combine that with the clinical perspective, which helps the person get stronger and overcome difficulties they're confronting. The reason I got into doing this kind of work, physician coaching around burnout mm -hmm. prevention, is several years ago I started seeing a lot of physicians coming into my practice who were very overwhelmed mm -hmm. with stress mm -hmm. because of the organizational changes that had gone on around them. They didn't understand what was happening to them, much less know how to try to overcome it, and they blamed themselves. Hmm. I was quite worried because I could see this was an organizational or a system issue, and I worried, who's going to take care of us? Diana, can you speak specifically what sorts of organizational changes are you referring to that was sure. making physicians have this sort of self-reflection? The work speed up, uh -huh. the needing to increase volume and thus shorten visit time. So that hasn't changed at all because those are the very pressures that we're dealing with right this moment. Right, if anything, it's gotten worse despite uh -huh. all our learning about how bad the burnout epidemic is. So what do you tell these physicians? And So I take the point of view that if people are educated about the problem they're confronting, they're gonna be better equipped to solve it somehow. And I teach them here the workplace issues that we know are mm -hmm. involved in burnout. Here are the kinds of things you can do as an individual to strengthen yourself. These are the kinds of things you could consider trying to push back to your organization ah. to ask for okay. to make your job more sustainable. Right. So it sounds like working from two perspectives. One is from the organizational level right, right. and giving feedback that way and trying to actually impact and change the system, mm -hmm. which is something we've talked right. in brief before. Uh, and as, will yet be a focus of this uh, series. We, we will talk about that. Good. And then the second point of attack, so to speak, is how to cope maybe and better manage and maybe even thrive from an individual perspective. That's right. Okay. That's right. I know that Meg Moore talked to you about valuing yourself and why it's not selfish to take care of yourself. Right. Well, think about it from another angle. Who's going to take care of us if you all can't sustain practice? Mm. You know? What, may I ask, are sort of the top couple of take-home points that you feel like physicians could really incorporate into our daily lives to help make practice more sustainable. More sustainable, okay. So stress management is an individual thing. Mm. I mean, people will have different stressors. If, if you're 
um, a doc with young children at home, for example, you're going to have different stressors to manage in your life. Check and if, check, check Diana. And check. <laughs> <laughs> then if you're more mid-career, right? Okay. Yes. Uh, so it's individual. At the same time, there are things I think physicians really need to recognize if they're going to sustain their energy over the course of a day, which is our topic today, uh, uh -huh. um, so they can bounce back, be resilient, and tackle the next day. Can I go into a little detail? Please. Okay. So in the CBT world of stress management, we think about arousal as being on a zero to 100 scale. Think of that metric. And at low arousal levels, mm -hmm. that's our baseline mm -hmm. when we're relaxed. Mm. Think of the mid-range as being a range that's meant for peak performance when we're quite aroused but not overwhelmed, where our focus and our energy is just right for the circumstances mm -hmm. we have to deal with. Mm. And then think of high arousal as fight-flight. This is an emergency functioning. Well, here's the thing. Humans are really made to hang out at the low levels of arousal. And ideally, for health and for best functioning, we can handle two to four hours at a stretch of arousal in the middle zone before we start losing our ability to focus and problem solve, uh -huh. before we start losing our ability to interact well with other people. Diana, may I ask one quick question? Yes. So the two to four hour window, a lot of doctors' sessions are four hours. Right. Does that 30 minute break in between one session and the next count as enough well, of a break? What do you think? No. Yeah. So humans can sustain those two to four hour cycles probably two of them over a course of a day, if they have a break in between that's long enough for them to recover. Wait, two hours in the whole course of a day? Two, two to four hour sessions uh, two, over the two course of a day. I see, yeah. okay. And if they're able to really fully relax during those sessions. If not, I mean, how many clinicians do you know who ask themselves to go eight, 10, 12 hours at a pretty high moderate arousal level, trying to field many things at once, yeah. one incredibly complex problem to solve after another, mm -hmm. a team to manage, mm -hmm. to-do lists to keep straight, who try to do that for 12 hours at a stretch, and then what happens? It's sort of unthinkable. I'm, I'm not even doing 12 hours at a stretch. You know, I have typically a morning session, afternoon session, uh, but, Diana, what I'm actually thinking about in terms of the mid to higher arousal is that I don't want to be, nor I can't, oh, sorry, I don't want to be, and I don't think I can be at low arousal when I'm at home. Hmm. I have two young kids, and I've alluded to that yeah. before. So does so that count? You can't, you can't that, really relax. Yeah, does that you? count as my third session? Probably I, does, doesn't <laughs> it? So then I'm out of sessions for the day. Well, you are young. <laughs> 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 and, uh, you know, I mean, age makes a difference okay. in how well people sustain that kind of schedule, too. Okay. So, so knowing that we can, as humans, be at that mid-arousal level just for about two to four hours before, you know, the quality of work, for example, starts to go down, mm -hmm. what practical things have you recommended 
for physicians to do? It's a really good question. First off, I try to get them to monitor themselves mm -hmm. so they know what their own arousal level is. Yes. Okay. And often they will see, gee, I'm going eight to nine hours, maybe more, at a 50 or 60 on that zero to 100 scale. And no wonder I'm tired. Yeah. So first step is to monitor yourself. Second step is to set a target schedule for yourself. Man, you know, to manage your energy over the course of the day, really map out a target arousal level over the course of the day. So from 9 to 12, for example, I'm going to be peak performance. I'm going to be at a 45 to 50, and I'm going to be using all cylinders, and then I'm taking an hour break, and then I'm going to come back and do it again. And then during that hour break, you're looking at me like, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> in, whose, I, in whose world? <laughs> well, you know, Diana, I was just thinking what an apt analogy. It feels like almost like a speedometer for a mm -hmm. car. And I'm still trying to wrap my mind around arousal from a zero to 100 and 50 being peak performance. Mm. It's sort of like what Les mentioned before about the Starling curve. There's an opt optimal yes. point. Same curve. Same yeah. curve, the Yerkes-Dodson. Yeah, same and, curve. And so that's the thing is that, I mean, myself included, and I think a lot of other physicians, not just in training, but then in practice, is we're probably operating at 80, 90, or 100% of that arousal level. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, well, especially in hospital, but even in clinic, mm -hmm. you're trying to balance phone calls, an upset patient, a sick patient, a dying mm -hmm. patient in the hospital, um, somebody who needs counseling in the office. It's just coming at you from all angles. And I mm -hmm. feel like my arousal level is much higher, much it's of the time. It's higher than that middle range. Right. Do you feel like being experiential about this a little bit? Sure. Like, here's what I mean by that. Yeah. So if I gave you the markers of the different points of the zero to hundred scale, maybe you could think to yourself, what's my arousal level right now? And what was it at different points yesterday? Would you want to try that? Yeah. I think okay. that would be interesting. I think being experiential about our learning about this is the most effective way okay. to go. Yeah. Okay. Remember, under 40 is relaxed. Right. And usually our attention is pretty diffuse. We're not really focused on anything. Mm -hmm. And our muscles are relaxed. Mm -hmm. 40 is the threshold for becoming more alert, mm -hmm. but not really alert, just alert. Now I'm paying attention. Uh -huh. I'm noticing something. And then from 40 to 60, our arousal level goes up, again, fueled by adrenaline to match what's needed. Okay. And we can be quite attentive and our muscles are really ready for whatever action we need to take, but they're not locked, okay? Then think about 60 as the threshold for moving over into alarm. And above 60 is really a pretty primitive range of functioning. It's meant to, to just support very vigorous action to save our lives. Mm. So. Of course, physicians train to deal with emergencies all the time, right? Right, And the training lets you do it on autopilot. You can do automatic activities, routines that you've practiced when you're over 60. You can't really think clearly. 
You mm -hmm. can't solve problems or think outside the box very well. And Diana, just to clarify, when you talk about the muscles locking, you know, that mm -hmm. I think a lot of people can understand that in real life. Our yep. muscles tense up when we're yep. on higher levels of arousal. Can this also apply to where we are in our sort of mind space or um, how do I say, the emotional aspects? For example, if something personal happens in your life during oh, a clinic day. Of course. Okay. All of right. course. Of course. Because we're one integrated human. Right. And we have one arousal system. It doesn't differentiate between work and home. But you see, as yeah. doctors, we're, we've been trained from the get-go. You've got to separate your personal, your home life, mm -hmm. whatever it may be, mm -hmm. from your professional life. Mm -hmm. And there's a doctor brain and there's a non-doctor brain. Okay. And do you find, Marie, that sometimes you can focus and just be at work and sometimes you can't? Yes, both happen. Mm. Sometimes things are going on, life is complicated, but right. when you get into the office, you sit down, you try to focus in on your patients and you're able to go from one patient to the next and think about clinical problems. Right. But let's say there's a huge event that happens. If a family member gets very sick suddenly, mm -hmm. that just put me over one day and I, I couldn't go back to clinic. Of course, it put you over into emergency function. Uh, yes. It didn't feel like I was in emergency mode because I wasn't being very responsive. It was almost the opposite. I felt incapacitated. Mm. So that can happen also in emergency mode. We can freeze, fight, flight, or freeze. Oh boy, Especially I'm not a fighter then. <laughs> I'm well, a freezer. <laughs> you, might, you might be able to do any of those. I can depending. run a code, but I can't get a you know, phone call about a sick family member. <laughs> So upsetting. Um, but, so oh, upsetting. Sorry. So during 40 to 60, you yeah. notice that you can redeploy your attention. Uh, yes. You have control over your attention. Right. But if you go over 60, you really are flooded and can't. Got it. How would you rate your own arousal level right now? I think I'm at a 50, 45, 50. I want to focus in on what you're saying and mm -hmm. concentrate and try to learn and be responsive and attempt at eloquence, but yes, you know, yes. I'm not the judge of that. You're concentrated. Exactly. Yep. And at the same time, you're pretty flexible and you're able to follow different directions of thought. Right. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. And if I'm looking at your muscle tension, for example, I mean, most people can't see this, but you know, we're, <laughs> when we do stress management, we train to be able to see this. Uh. If I'm looking at your tension level, 45 sounds right. So if you were going to use that as a benchmark for yourself, how did the course of your day go yesterday? So yesterday, um, I think when I come into the office, I try to get settled. And I was immediately approached by uh, my medical assistant with a difficult patient on the phone. Okay. Um, and so I ended up calling this patient and I think I was 60, but we're getting into that zone where mm -hmm. it was making me a little bit frazzled and mm -hmm. I didn't like being there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I could feel that. The frazzled feeling is a sign of really going over the 60 and right. being overwhelmed, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was more the trying to navigate how to uh, counsel the patient and redirect them and also 
soothe them and reassure them because okay. she was very unhappy with the way that our practice had handled something. Mm -hmm. And so that's very hard because it's not at all within my purview as a doctor and it's hard to educate patients mm -hmm. about that sometimes. There has to be the right time and place. Well, anyway, that happened. And, and then I, how do you think you'd rate your arousal during that? Well, the interaction definitely probably 65, 70. Mm. And that was about what time? It was first thing in the morning, so maybe eight o'clock when I got in. Okay, and then how did things go from there? So from there, I stepped down uh, in terms of arousal states, trying to reorient myself uh, and then getting into my clinical day. Okay. So there I start to see patients. I definitely do feel like I'm probably in the 40s or 50s mm -hmm. at that point, you know, um, and I know when I'm really at that sweet spot when I can close my notes <laughs> as I go. That's a good you sign. You can close your notes as you go, oh, every doctor's dream. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and that's got to be peak performance, right, Les? It certainly is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, okay, so yesterday was that kind of day. Well, initially, okay. but because again, alluding to you know the sick family member, this is maybe one area that I could actually get some of your expertise is the ubiquitous cell phone. Mm. Okay, so I don't carry it with me. It sits in my office, yeah. but in between patients, I do go into my office. And because of this ongoing medical uh, situation right now, mm -hmm. I've been anxiously checking my cell phone in between mm -hmm. because there are updates and they could be dramatic. That causes me to go into a slightly higher arousal state. Isn't that interesting? So regardless of what you hear, checking raises your anxiety. And for that reason, you know, you may want to try to protect yourself a little bit more and isolate when you check it. That's right. And so I found that, Diana, it was distracting and it was hard to bounce back and get back into doctor mode, you know, mm -hmm. thinking about my patients and going on with the flow of the day. So I have put my phone away, you know, locked it away. What a good idea. Right. What a good idea. Okay. But then there's always that nagging thought in the back of your head, what if? What if there's that emergency? And I, sometimes in this situation, I don't know how to let that go. But it's at least I'm not checking my phone. It's pretty <laughs> challenging, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know if I have an answer for you about that one, other than trying to not let it flood you every minute. Right. You know, if you can isolate when you're vulnerable to the, the fear that comes up when you check your phone. Right. It might be easier on you. How long do you think you, how long was your first session yesterday? First session was maybe three and a half hours. Okay. So not too long. And how did you feel at the end of that session? Tired, a bit depleted. I did go outside. Mm -hmm. I, I think it ended up being eight or nine minutes. Okay. <laughs> but I did have my lunch. I didn't just inhale it. I tried to focus on my breathing. So back to taking care of yourself. Yeah, so that was nice. Yeah. And I think arousal level at that time probably dropped to 20, maybe 30. Oh, excellent. Marie, that's excellent. So the reason I usually recommend that people take an hour break is it can be really hard to transition from uh, the 50s yeah. down into a restful zone. Right. Our mind stays really busy unless we do something to help it along. But it sounds like you know what to do. You've well, learned some tricks. 
Maybe that isn't entirely accurate then. I thought 20 or 30 because I was sitting outside and breathing, but my mind was still <laughs> thinking well, what, about clinic. What was your experience of yourself? I think it's getting better. Before okay. I had a hard time focusing my thoughts in on just mm -hmm. the breathing or the eating or mm -hmm. being outside, mm -hmm. but it's coming. It's okay. coming along. It's getting easier to do. It does take practice. Right. You'll get faster with practice. I've got to get faster because I only have five minutes, Diana. <laughs> now, okay, so this, this is where I talk to doctors about, you know, this isn't sustainable, not good for patient care, to not get enough of a break. And I encourage people to use that knowledge to try to push for a better workplace for themselves. So here's the conundrum. Mm -hmm. and. I don't know if we can solve it here, and I think it's happening across a lot of practices and for a lot of physicians. We've been asked to increase productivity, right. and part of that is encounters, mm -hmm. and what goes hand in hand with that is adding on patients during the day. Yep. There's going to be a certain level of patients that don't come to their appointments, and so where do we make that up? We've been given various suggestions by my supervising physicians mm -hmm. that you can add on during breaks during lunch break or to the end of your clinic day. Now, for some people that's very doable, I can't do it at the end of the day because mm -hmm. I have a hard deadline of mm -hmm. when I need to pick up my daughter right. from daycare. And that's just the reality of life. Uh, but then now, so I'm presuming in the upcoming few weeks to months, I will need by um, decree almost. By to, decree. By decree that I need to start adding patients during my break. So you're in a hard place, Marie. On the one hand, your organization is asking you to do something that pushes you beyond the bounds of what's sustainable. And on the other hand, you know that and you feel an obligation to take care of yourself. So what are your options? Well, I would say that, Diana, you're right. The organizations, the environment are making demands that ultimately are not sustainable. And they impact us physiologically in this arousal way. And at some point, the over arousal is depleting and has consequences that are not widespread and understood in physician burnout in terms of personal ill health personal emotional health suffering, mm -hmm. relationship suffering, and medical error. Mm -hmm. So at some point, the price paid for absorbing this and just trying to operate at that high level is too high. Mm -hmm. So we will get to the possibilities for activism and organizational change and workplace efficiency and delegation and you know mm -hmm. structural so environmental solutions. We will get there another day. But in the meantime, I think your point is that we still have to manage that stress. And there are things at any level of stress where we can learn to take it down a notch so that the, mm -hmm. the cumulative cost in that individual physiologic way is not as high as it is when we're, it's first asked. Yeah. Is that yeah. a fair statement? I, if there's more work to do than you can possibly do within the allocated time, what's going to give? I think that's the question we're being asked to address. And, and I agree that yeah. the solution to that is to sort of make the work manageable in quantity or efficiency. But why, when one is in this current stress, mm -hmm. I believe you're encouraging us to think about ways we can modulate the energy as best possible mm -hmm. to break these stressful periods up, to do things like mindful practice that can right. temporarily right. bring That's at least right. the physiologic 
arousal yes. down to so, 20 or 30 as a break. So that's Even right, though that's, you're going to go back to another high arousal situation, yeah. that the cumulative uh-huh. energy spent over the day is at least broken up and there are some brief periods of restoration. That's right. That's right. And the key is to take an effective break when you uh, can take a break. Okay. So that you're really coming down below 40. Right. The strategies you're learning are really beautiful strategies. Okay. Anytime we can tune out all the incoming mm-hmm. and unplug and focus on one thing, we help ourselves to come down below mm-hmm. 40. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the breathing, mm-hmm. the savoring, these are great strategies to use. And you're noticing that you can transition fairly quickly, and that will get better with practice. Let's say I'm in a patient room and we're talking about something and my arousal level is getting higher and higher. It's a stressful situation mm-hmm. or the patient is very ill. It's a hard family situation. It comes up on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. How do I recognize that and then bring down that dial? That's a really good question. And there are a lot of different things that people can try depending on who they are. Some of the ways you can try to manage yourself are by soothing your body, like with deep breathing. Some of the ways you can try are with soothing your mind, like trying to focus on one thing at a time, or to try to reduce the demand on yourself. Like sometimes it feels like you must do everything perfectly right away. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes that's true. And other times, some of the pieces of what you're trying to do with your patient can wait. Mm and schedule another appointment, for Mm -hmm. example, Mm -hmm. especially if there's distress. There may be need for another patient counseling encounter Mm -hmm. in a week, for example. Right. I think there are a variety of different strategies you could use. And the person like you, Marie, is going to be best equipped to do that if they're able to monitor their own arousal level and see when they're going too high and try to start deep breathing or whatever strategies they've developed to help themselves with this. Are you able to multitask or are physicians able to multitask doing this in a clinic visit? So I'm just imagining my one of my patient experiences yesterday. I was sitting with my patient who's incredibly anxious, mm. very, very anxious. And you know that that energy. You absorb you it. You absorb that. Yeah. So I'm sitting face to face with him. I. I don't know if I could start, and I'm looking at Les, just imagining, could I start deep breathing? Yes, you you could. I could. Would that be really obvious? Not necessarily. Try it. I'm doing that now. All right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, how do I diffuse that energy while focusing on his medical issue and counseling him at the same time, all within 20 minutes Mm. or less? Ideally less. isn't it? Well... But I think uh, I think Diana is urging us to figure these breaks out, even in the midst of the demand. Okay. Uh, and I think some of this could be the sort of invisible timeout that you're taking with a deep breathing. It doesn't need necessarily to slow the conversation down. You just don't need to jump in. Let the patient talk a little longer and right. take a few extra breaths. You'll right. you'll still mentally attend to it, but you can you can do that much multi-channel work. I think I'm practicing now. All right. Really well done. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And I think uh, 
so Diana's also brought up another tool, which is reframing. Like mm-hmm. I'm getting all this energy. I notice I'm getting all this anxious energy. Mm-hmm. The patient's anxious. I'm not really. Mm-hmm. Do I have to be anxious? Is there another thing I can do, like find a time to address her anxiety? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it could even apply to that personal emergency that mm-hmm. you related to that. Unless, you know, your utility was needed in the moment to have to be there then and there, you'll find out you'll support your loved ones at a time you're able to provide support and you don't have to be there at that time. Whether I'm worrying frantically or not. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I realize that means you want the engagement. You want to be there. That's very positive. But in terms of the net cost and you're being, uh, adding to you go over, over, going over 60, 70, you don't have to pay that one then and there. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. That's food for thought. Yeah. On the subject of multitasking, yes. trying to do more than one thing at a time will make you more anxious. You know, and if you can possibly prioritize and just do one thing at a time, so you give yourself the benefit of focusing, savoring, right. Right. as Gail described it, yeah, it yeah. will make you feel better too. Thank you for affirming that, Diana. I, I have this sneaking suspicion. I feel like I'm the only person possibly in the whole medical profession that cannot multitask very effectively. I don't believe that it works well. I can't do two things at once. I think it's a myth myself. Mm. Yeah, We know it doesn't work well. People don't do as well when they're multitasking and they feel worse. If anything, I think it might make sense to think of it as a sign of anxiety that we've lost our focus. And so we're trying to do something we can't do. Does typing notes while you're seeing the patient count as multitasking if you're a really good typer. Don't you think it does? (laughs) But what am I gonna do, Diana? I can't finish my notes. I know. Oh, topic for another day. Well, these are dilemmas and, you know, I think the best we can do sometimes is just highlight the dilemma and Mm. as a way of starting a solution process. A lot of food for thought. So if I can just to sum up, I think, Diana, you've taught us the importance of trying to be very self-aware of our arousal level. Mm-hmm. Recognize that our demands frequently put us over the range of both peak performance and sustainability. Right. And that mm-hmm. if we can attend to that and then figure out through some of the strategies you've also outlined, ways to bring us back, perhaps briefly, perhaps with a substantial break between these moments, mm-hmm. that in the end we will get through the day with less frittered energy spent, better focus and attention to the tasks at hand. And that that is a, a skill that will help us get through even the new demanding day. Is that... Really is that, well summed up. Okay. Thank you, Les. Well, thank you. And, and uh, I will say this is something at all stages of practice, beginning... Mm-hmm or toward the late stages myself, this is all applicable, something we all can think about and, and use. Hmm. So Marie, I'd like to ask if I could give you something to do in the interim before we meet again. Very much so, Les. Well, great, so <laughs> you showed us that you can monitor your state of arousal as you, as you were here and now, and also as you go through the course of your day. So if you could just observe the arousals. Yeah as you go through the next any number of days at your practice and just observe how much of your time are you spending at what? 
just observe good. it and just see what is the real burden of all of this like. I'm actually in this moment imagining my mental speedometer okay. and looking at that dial. And throughout the day, I'll try to make a note of where it sits. So, Terrific. So just check in and note where it sits. And then if you're feeling bold, if you notice, oh, I'm at 70, yeah, I'm over the speed limit. <laughs> Can you hit the brake for however long as possible with one of these techniques of breathing, of savoring, of a brief walk outside, of reframing this as not so speedy and important in the moment. And see if you can take the arousal down a little. If you're feeling bold and want to try it. I can just envision my future Prescani, you know, comments. Doctor breathes very loudly and slowly. <laughs> <laughs> But she was so calm and reassuring. She was so calm. <laughs> Marie, good to see you again, and I look forward to our next meeting. Thank you, Les, always for being my guide. Thank you again, Diana. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. And with other mentors and teachers we meet along the way will help me stay passionate about medicine and about my life outside of medicine while hopefully helping some along the way. Very good. If you have a question or a comment about today's program, email us at feedback at medpep.org or simply visit us at medpep.org. And now, here's a few words from MedPep's founder, Steve Edelman. This is Dr. Steve Edelman, creator of MedPep, the Medical Professionals Empowerment Program, and director of PHS, Physician Health Services, a charitable subsidiary of the Massachusetts Medical Society. Our mission is to promote the well-being of health professionals. Many thanks to our seeker, Dr. Marie Curious, to our guide, Dr. Les Schwab, and to our wonderful group of guest experts. Hats off to project leader, Dr. J. Dev Dasgupta, audio producer, Douglas Stevens, guitardiologist, Dr. Susie Brown, and to the staff and board of PHS. Please visit and connect with us at medpep.org for CME info, faculty bios, and additional empowerment resources.